The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Isaiah 1-3 Hi, this is Pastor Jason from Christian Life Church in Waverly, New York. Welcome to Master's Crib, a weekly podcast where we interview pastors and leaders about the biblical teaching of authority. This program is designed to go alongside a personal Bible study aimed towards spiritual growth, biblical understanding, and a Christian worldview. Thanks for tuning in. Today we have Dr. Stephen Flick, who heads the Christian Heritage Fellowship, an organization dedicated to reclaiming America's Christian heritage and celebrating the life-changing influence of the gospel around the world. Dr. Flick, welcome to Master's Crib. Thank you, Pastor Berger. It's a privilege to be with you this morning. I greatly appreciate it. So we have Christmas on our plates this morning. So uh, there are an awful lot of misconceptions out there, and they seem to be growing, which in a way is possibly a good thing because it tells us people are thinking. People are thinking, oh, should I really have a Christmas tree in my house? Oh, should I really have a wreath? Because these are, these are pagan parts of this celebration. And then there are other people out there, Dr. Flick, as you and I both know, that um, consider Christmas uh, a pagan holiday to begin with. So why is it that we even celebrate Christmas to begin with? I know that there are a variety of uh, responses to that, and uh, I know that uh, uh, that varies very widely, uh, but there is reason from the early church that uh, gives evidence, points to the fact that very likely Jesus was born toward the end of the year, uh, and that, that certainly influenced the thinking and the life of the early church. A lot of times, uh, there is such emphasis upon the fact that this uh, interweaves with uh, pagan uh, celebrations as well in terms of, of timing or chronology. Uh, but the earliest church did indeed, uh, there's evidence that the earliest church pointed uh, toward the end of the year and this very season uh, to celebrate the life of Jesus Christ. I do think that subsequent generations have emphasized uh, a, a pagan origin, uh, but within the early church, that was not necessarily so. Uh, so uh, I, I do believe it's very important for Christians to, to understand why they practice, why they celebrate uh, certain observances. Uh, but there is historic, uh, historic reasoning uh, for this, and it, it does come from the very, very early church. Mm. Uh, and, and by saying that, I, I do not wish to discount uh, other dating either, mm. uh, but uh, except to, to point to, to a level of credence for the observance of, of Christ's uh, uh, first advent at the end of our year. We all just assume that Christmas has always been celebrated here in the States, but it wasn't always the case, right? Wasn't there um, some, some people in the beginning that were kind of opposed to the celebration of Christmas? That's exactly right. And 
when you understand the influence, the pilgrims, the Puritans, uh, of course, those that would have been related to the Anglican church uh, would have been less apprehensive of these celebrations, but uh, particularly among the pilgrim and pilgrims and Puritans, they're often ridiculed because they did not wish to observe Christmas. But there's valid reasoning as far as they are concerned. Uh, the, the, the expression Puritan uh, certainly does remind the church of that emphasis of uh, that group of individuals, both the pilgrims and Puritans, were attempting to purify the Anglican Church of the remnants of, uh, of the Roman Catholic tradition. Uh, and of course, the Roman Catholic tradition uh, heavily observed uh, special uh, holy days, uh, special observances that the church itself had instituted uh, throughout the calendar year, throughout the church year. Uh, and it was that very thing that, that they were trying to uh, get away from. Mm. And so our founding fathers, and that would not only be in the, the era, uh, the 17th century, but uh, as you come to realize that for America's founding fathers at the national, during the national era, uh, where we declared our independence, uh, Christmas even there did not have, um, uh, was not observed in the way that we observe it today. Uh, so it, it is important to realize what the pilgrims and Puritans were attempting to do. Uh, they were doing that not only with Christmas, but with other saint days and uh, many other observances that had uh, been infused into the life of, of uh, the church in the West. Uh, and they were trying to purify that. And Christmas was just one of those uh, issues that, uh, that the church, that the pilgrims and Puritans were, were trying to uh, uh, purify. Uh, so our perspective is very, very different today uh, in this generation um, and has been for uh, uh, since the 19th century for us, essentially. Um, uh, so it, it's hard for us to really understand uh, their intent, mm. but uh, I think it's important for us to understand their, their spiritual interest at this point. So would you say, um, just looking historically and looking at what we have today, the celebration of Christmas, uh, where we stand today, would you say that... Um, we celebrate Christmas today because of the Christians' acceptance of the culture or because of the culture's acceptance of this Christian holiday? I, I would say uh, in America and around the world, uh, so many of the holidays have arisen out of the, the, the life of the church. Mm. That doesn't mean that there hasn't been uh, a cultural influence. Mm. Uh, there, there has always been, for example, the names of our days, the days of the week, as well as the names of our months uh, uh, come out of, uh, out of a pagan background. Mm. There are influences there uh, of which we're not even aware anymore. Uh, and sometimes it would be helpful to, uh, to us to realize that 
there is a simply because there was a a, a uh, uh, an influence that may have come from uh, a pagan culture doesn't mean that we should change the days of the week or the months of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we would have to look at our own language, the very words that we use, uh, how thoroughly would we want to purge mm. um, culture of, of these emphases. Uh, and uh, Pastor Berger, I, I would say that the real issue here has always been the, the two greatest laws uh, of, the, uh, uh, of, of Scripture, the Older Testament as well as the Newer Testament, and that is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And, of course, the second is like that. Uh, those things that diminish uh, those intents of the heart uh, are the things that, that will uh, corrupt our faith. Uh, and and uh, we turn to uh, the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, and the reformers also were looking at a way of purifying the church. Mm. Uh, of course, Martin Luther is part of what is known as the magisterial reformers, those who work with magistrates of the state um, in, in a, a church-state relationship. Uh, and Martin Luther, of course, uh, did not... Uh, get rid of the Christmas tree and, and things of that nature. Uh, so it, it's not as if there are practices that are clearly identified that would corrupt our faith. But visualization uh, many times is, is what is intended. Uh, and um, I know that probably some of your listeners will will struggle with that but those things that corrupt my attitude my heart toward the eternal god and toward others are those things that i need to seriously examine Mm. Uh, so maybe it's the intent of my heart uh, toward some of those things i I know that that i do not worship thor on thursday (laughs) Uh, so um I, I hope that, that, that there are some things there that would cause us to think and, and not merely to always castigate uh, something when there is uh, an association with our faith. Uh, I know that, that some are quick to do that, and I, I think that we have to be more guarded and more thoughtful uh, before we do that. I'm really glad that you said that. Um, it brings to mind, you know, people that have an issue of conscience— like uh, they say, well, I don't want to celebrate holiday or Christmas because um, for me, that's participating in, in a pagan ceremony. Well, for those people, perhaps that's a good idea. You know, if that's what your conscience says, then, then go ahead and do that. If, if you don't want to have that conversation, that's fine. But I, I think, and perhaps you'll agree or disagree, that the problem comes in when you take your issue of conscience that is not clearly defined in the scriptures and set that as the standard. So I don't celebrate Christmas because it has pagan roots. So you ought not either. Uh, yes, I, I and I, I believe that that's not only true with regard to holidays. Mm. It's all, also true with regard to other aspects and areas of life. Mm. 
Oh, for sure, for sure. So, for some reason, um, we have in America become obsessed with Christmas. The first thing that comes to people's mind when they think about Christmas, apart from the tree and apart from the wreaths and apart from gifts even, is Santa Claus. So why is it that Santa has taken the front stage here in the United States and other countries as well, I know, um, instead of Christ? I think that we have to realize that people will celebrate I, I think it's important, as is true in every aspect of the believer's life, there has to be a reason for our practices, our observances. And uh, I, I think it's true for Christmas or any other observance throughout the year. Uh, it is the visualization many times, and uh, quite frankly, I think that because children are so enamored with the visualization, many times mom and dad or perhaps grandma and grandpa uh, are, uh, are, are, are very inclined to uh, uh, be conducive to, to uh, a child's aspirations and interests. Uh, and it is that emotional uh, stimulation or titillation that, uh, that stirs us. Mm. And uh, we have to be careful not to live merely by emotion. The Christian should never live by emotion. Mm. Uh, if we do, we're, we, we will always live uh, an oscillating life up and down all the time. And uh, our, our observances need to be observances that, that uh, come from our faith. Mm. But uh, I know that with regard to Santa Claus, of course, Santa Claus, the, the Dutch uh, expression, we, of course, uh, call him Santa Claus. Uh, that is a, a mischaracterization of, uh, of a Christian pastor by the name of Nicholas. Uh, the early church, soon after his life and death, began to call him Saint Nicholas. Uh, they uh, began to canonize him. Uh, but uh, he, he was a pastor, an actual pastor, and uh, was known as the Bishop of Myra. Uh, and though we don't know a great deal about Nicholas, we do have reason to believe some things because of the historical verification. Uh, and we find that he was, he was a pastor that uh, uh, Diocletian, of course, he experienced the persecution under Diocletian. And so he provides a, an outstanding example for us. But as we turn to the Middle Ages and beyond, uh, particularly here in America, all of that has shifted away from a man who, whom we believe to have passed away about, about 343. The exact date is not sure, but about 343 on December the 6th. And uh, we're taping just a few days prior to that. Uh, but his uh, death and his life is, is remembered on December the 6th. And I think it's significant because that is not too far removed from the day established to celebrate the birth of Christ. And like so many other things, uh, the life, even though it is today mischaracterized, uh, 
the life of this individual can overshadow the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And I know that Nicholas would never want that himself. Mm. Uh, as a Christian pastor, he, we have reason to believe that he was faithful in those early generations of the church. We have reason to believe that he was faithful uh, to, to the cause and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Uh, but of course today that has changed a great deal uh, and uh, we we become enamored with uh, a mischaracterization of somebody and, and uh, Santa Claus today does not accurately reflect upon uh, uh, that uh, one of our our Greek forefathers in the Christian church. So we have a lot of of stories and beliefs about Saint Nick, and there are some some more that continue to pop up. So uh, one of the more recent ones that I've heard, uh, Saint Nick was on the Council of Nicaea. Is is that accurate? Uh, that is uh, a puzzling uh, matter. It's very enigmatic. Uh, okay. That, and he's reported to to have uh, physically struck. Uh, the heretic, uh, but uh, that's that that cannot be historically verified, and this is true for a number of the anecdotes related to his life. Uh, it it's probably about the fifth or sixth century, which would have been two to three hundred years after his life, that we have the first uh, attempt at biography. And what we have in that early biography is something very similar to what was going on in the early church at that time. Uh, Christians were wanting to make their heroes and heroines larger than life. That is to overshadow the pagan world who is doing the same thing. Mm. So to uh, make them larger than life through a variety of miraculous events and acts uh, has has been the intent of was the intent of the early church and again what they're trying to say is essentially our god is bigger than your gods uh. and uh it's being manifested through the miraculous works of of uh, early believers interestingly enough um just with considering you know what we have today of Saint Nick, with uh, actually of Saint Nicholas, excuse me, with um, the the very little historical details we have, um, the picture that we have, um, you know, what you've given us is uh, is someone that that could be looked up to, and obviously a, a faithful Christian pastor. Um, whether or not he was on the Council of Nicaea, um, whether or not he actually um, struck a man there, um, it's interesting that his story was taken and made to be what it is today, and. Uh, we probably don't have a whole lot of um, a lot of real roots for why people believe what they believe today. What about the reindeer? What about the red suit? That's probably all speculation. If on Christmas our true intent is to focus on and celebrate the incarnation, do you see the Santa Claus that we see today as perhaps a distraction? that has been given to us, um, we've been tempted to believe by Satan to distract us from, from focusing on what this season is truly about? 
Pastor Jason, if we look not only in the Word of God, but if we look throughout church history, there has always been this struggle uh, to water down, to dilute truth. We see that in the Garden of Eden when the question is, has God said? Mm. Uh, and that is true throughout every era of, of church history. Just the slightest crack in the foundation of truth uh, gives opportunity for the complete erosion of that foundation. And uh, Satan uses uh, the very tools that, that God intends. Satan usually duplicates in some way. And he does that to snuff out uh, the truth of God. Uh, and, and again, that's, that's not only biblically so, but you look at the pages of church history. That's true in the life of the church, every bit as much as it was true in the life of Israel as well. Uh, so the church must keep, uh, it, it, it's, it must regard truth as, as, it, as its most important uh, commodity. Uh, it, it must keep that truth. Our responsibility is to pass this truth off untarnished to the next generation. Uh, I was in a in a small meeting um, in earlier this year, and um, I we were going around introducing ourselves. And when I introduced myself and uh, told mentioned the school from which I had graduated and the individual that uh, was my uh, my dissertation chair and my advisor in my PhD program. Uh, the uh, individual, very well-known, very highly respected uh, leader in evangelical America, immediately called uh, the name of, of my uh, uh, advisor and uh, identified him uh, as, as an individual. Uh, his name was, my advisor was Dr. Tom Oden, and uh, immediately uh, Dr. Land said, uh, nothing new. Mm. Uh, Dr. Oden had come out of liberalism and back to his uh, evangelical heritage. Uh, and he came to realize that holding on to that truth, that's not our responsibility to add to as, as uh, barnacles on the hull of a ship. It's not our responsibility to do that, but it is to keep the message pure and undefiled. Mm. And uh, with all of the accretions of culture and uh, personal interest, uh, many times that's hard to do, but it is our responsibility mm. as believers to do that. So kind of trying to reconcile um, several different ideas and, and possibly even if they can be harmonized. When we think of um, what we just spoke of with um, with Satan's, uh, you know, distracting even from the beginning, and uh, wanting to, you know, us, us wanting to hold on to untainted truth and, and pass that down, and at the same time, we do have to deal with the elephant in the room. So I've heard uh, of pastors that have preached sermons about Santa and how if you just rearrange two letters, it's Satan. Um, so we do have people that go the other way with it. And, um, you know, they've, they've taken it to so far a level that they tell people that um, they are abusing their children if they tell their children that Santa Claus is real. 
So, Dr. Flick, how is it that here in 2020, parents can reconcile both um, teaching and instructing their children in the Incarnation and uh, presenting the, the true details or uh, perhaps just f- finding a way to uh, deal with uh, the elephant in the room, which, which is Santa Claus, without completely crushing everyone, as we just spoke of, of uh, not abandoning all culture. How can these be harmonized, if at all? I think our obligation is not to harmonize, but I think our obligation is, is to the advocacy of truth. Mm. Uh, I think it's so very important that our children, from uh, their earliest uh, memories of us uh, remember that uh, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa were advocates of truth. Mm. Uh, I can't imagine a greater truth to bequeath to succeeding generations than first of all uh, the, the truth of God's word but also the fidelity of individuals who have been faithful to that truth. Mm. That's the reason. This isn't just Santa Claus, but that's the reason we can talk about Henry Dunnett, and we can talk about the Red Cross and what Christianity gave to, one of many things, gave to the Muslim world, that is the Red Crescent. Hmm. And, and that list goes on and on. Here were individuals that didn't compromise, uh, and their advocacy of truth we need to hold up. And and I would say that uh, years ago, I used to do monologues, in-costume monologues, and the, the very first one I did was of Nicholas. <laughs> but but I did, in, in that uh, monologue, I did uh, tell the truth uh, about Nicholas, the fact that Nicholas would not have worn a red coat, and yet here I'm wearing a, a bishop's coat with... Uh, uh, you know, the added attire, the, the, the shepherd's uh, staff, as well as the crozier, the bishop's crozier. And uh, I explained that and, and indicated that uh, Nicholas would not have worn those things. It wasn't until centuries later that those things were imposed upon the imagery, the, the person of Nicholas. Mm. Uh, so... I think it's, it is a matter of, of bequeathing our heritage to succeeding generations, but it's the advocacy of truth, and, and we have no reason to be embarrassed uh, about great men and women mm. who, have, who, have, who have given their lives in the, in the interest of advocating that truth. Mm. Wow. That is our, amazing. Kids, our kids need those examples today, and we, we, we don't know what they are. For example, when, when they uh, see uh, uh, the Wright Brothers flying machine at uh, Kitty Hawk, will they ever remember that Orville and Wilbur were sons of Bishop Milton Wright? Probably not, but that's their Christian heritage. Wow. When they go into a restaurant, and look at a ketchup bottle and see H.J. Hines there, will they ever remember that that was a godly Methodist uh, who bequeathed to his family a godly uh, Christian heritage? And that list goes on, whether it's J.C. Penney, uh, that list just goes on and on and on 
uh, here's a glorious heritage that is ours, that is being swallowed uh, in our day and age. And I think it's important that, that we tell the truth concerning a Christian pastor who sought to be faithful. And in doing so, hopefully invite our children and grandchildren to likewise take a stand for the cause of Jesus Christ. Wow, that is amazing. Now, you have a book on this exact topic, right? I do. Yes, I do. Uh, and it is uh, at Amazon. Uh, it is the, the uh, title of, of the book is St. Nicholas, How a Christian Pastor Became Santa Claus. Yes, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, I really, really, really appreciate uh, your time, Dr. Flick. How can uh, our listeners get a hold of you if they have questions and need more information? Um, they may find me at the ChristianHeritageFellowship.com. That's all one word, ChristianHeritageFellowship.com. And, uh, we are seeking to advocate uh, our not just our Christian American heritage, but uh, the heritage that Christianity has bequeathed to the world. Mm. Wow. Well, I will be praying for you and your family, and I just thank you so much for uh, for your time and for coming on Master's Crib. Master Berger, it has been my privilege today. I trust it's a great Christmas season for you and your family and congregation.